Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So I was going to start with the player profile, but instead I want to talk with some or start with some football. Specifically, I want to start with Jets football. It's been a minute since we talked about the most interesting team in the NFL. And yes, I said it. The most interesting team in the NFL. So, who's interested in that? Who would that be? It's the Jets. Don't take my word for it. Ask HBO. It's the J-E-T-S. Allegedly, reportedly, according to rumors at least, Lee, because according to Pro Football Talk, the Jets are, quote, bracing for an involuntary hard knocks assignment. End of quote. Two things there. Number one, is there any other kind at this point? The involuntary hard knocks assignment? But then again, they have been projecting bad football involuntarily on their fans for years. Now, in fairness, hard knocks only has so many options. It only has so many options in terms of their criteria this year. Namely, the Jets, the Saints, the Commanders, and the Bears. Because only the Jets, Saints, Commanders, and Bears can be forced to do it this season because they are the only four teams that, one, have not made the playoffs the last two years, two, do not have a new head coach, and three, have not been featured on the show in a decade. So really at HBO, I'm sure, the Jets are a no-brainer. It's just too bad that at this point, Hard Knocks can't make people actually watch. They can make teams actually do it, but they can't make people actually watch the show anymore. I mean, is there anyone anywhere that is still into that show? But if there was a reason to watch this year, it's that there's a team that might grab your interest. A team that would be a no-brainer. It's the Jets. Hell, I'd watch that. And frankly, I don't watch it anymore. And haven't for the last few years. They lost me. But for the Jets, I'm into that. And as far as the Jets acting like they want no part of this, like they're somehow above it, like they don't want to do it. You see, this is what happens when you actually get interesting, guys. You wanted relevance. This is what relevance looks like. This is what happens when you bring in the first bout Hall of Famer and the dude assimilates into New York celebrity life like he's the second coming of John Lennon or something. It's like John Lennon, Aaron Rodgers, and maybe not in that order. Ah! Thank you, Alvin. Here's the other thing, too. I'm just going to go ahead and call BS. That's art. Thanks, Alvin. I got it. No, really, I got it, Alvin. Thank you. Uh, This isn't Saturday night at the Alvin household. Come on, Alvin, stop. Or every night at the Alvin household. Thanks, Alvin. You don't need to throw it in our face how much you're getting. Anyway, here's the other thing. I call BS on that whole involuntary part. You know they want this. You know Aaron and Bob Sala 
and Sauce and the Coog Hunter and Garrett Wilson don't mind when a camera is around. Robert Receipts did not make himself into a men's health cover model to hide the APAC or the gun show or that barrel chest. Zach Wilson needs all the preseason TV FaceTime he can get if he wants to continue hunting Coog. I'm not saying that Salah wasn't necessarily lying earlier this month when he claimed the Jets had no interest. I'm just saying I think that he was more about nailing the punchline than he was about anything else. I think he was about saying this. Robert, have you heard of uh, you guys are going to be on Hard Knocks or not yet? Um, I uh, haven't gotten word or anything like that. I, I know for I know there's several teams that would uh, love for hard, knock, hard Knocks to be in their building. If we're just not one of them. So. <laughs> I mean, check out receipts. <laughs> just killing it up there. But he's also wrong. What he just said is wrong. It's inaccurate. Apparently, there aren't other teams that would love for Hard Knocks to be in the building because they keep having to force teams to do it. They have to make teams do it. Teams like the Jets. Teams like the Jets that supposedly, allegedly don't want it. Funny thing is, I don't think they're really doing all that much forcing here. In fact, it's almost like the Jets protest too much. Are they really, quote, bracing for an involuntary assignment, end of quote? Or are they begging for that involuntary assignment? Are they really put out or are they actually just signaling, you can come in anytime you want? Yes. Hey, uh, Jets, hard knocks here. Yes. Hey, uh, Coach, this is so-and-so from hard knocks. Yes. Anytime you all want to pop on over, you just do so. Anytime you want to pop the question, just do so. Come on. Besides, whether they want it or not, they're getting it. Because of course they are. It's a no-brainer. Who doesn't want the Jets on hard knocks this year? It's about the only thing that could get anybody excited to watch that show again. Let's face it. Hard knocks is played out. It used to be awesome. It used to be awesome. But it's played out. But you get the Jets, I'm watching. And I'm guessing a lot of you would too. I mean, can you imagine live behind-the-scenes footage of Zach Wilson making Aaron Rodgers' life hell in practice every single day? Who doesn't want to see that? Or Bobby Sala letting us into his office to show us where he hides all the receipts. Taking receipts. Or Aaron taking his ayahuasca seminar to training camp and telling the rest of the team what he told a Denver psychedelics conference last week. All these bums who want to, you know, come after me online about my experience and stuff, they've never tried it. They're the perfect people for it. We need to get these people taking it. And you know what? It's going to be hard to cancel me because. You know, the previous year, 26 touchdowns, four interceptions. We had a good season. Ayahuasca, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. MVP. What are you going to say? My man, you know, this is a huge Aaron Rodgers house. Sorry, Packer fan, it is. I love Aaron. But Aaron, rules are rules. No bum smack. 
All no bum smacks. Ah! Sorry, I want to jump on you. I stepped on you. Can we make that point one more time? Even hold up. Even for the guy that I admire so much, one of my favorite people ever, Aaron Rodgers. The rules even apply to him. No bum smack. All these bums. I would never cancel you, dude. You're right. You can't be canceled. Nor would I cancel you. However, I will run that take if it involves bum smack. And it did. How about his take? Ayahuasca. 48 TDs and five interceptions. MVP. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? That's ionic, honestly. You see, I want that energy on hard knocks. I need that energy on hard knocks. That might actually make it fun again. It might actually make it watchable again. But if we're being honest, there is no way it would ever top the original. Sequels never do. And the 2010 version with Rex Ryan and Tim Tebow, and most importantly, Antonio Cromartie, that right there is the bar. And as interesting as this Jet Squad is, there's no way this Jet Squad tops that Jet Squad when it comes to hard knocks. I mean, no way. That's the bar. How are they going to clear that bar? How are they going to clear that bar when I don't think anybody else has? That had to have been the best season that Hard Knocks ever had. I think they maxed out at that point. The show has been all downhill since then. You know, and I'm not big on cracking on other sports shows. I'm just being real since it's a topic. But think about this. Think about what we had back then and think about what we have right now. As an example, there is no way that Robert Receipts is going to do a slow motion recreation of Tebow jogging shirtless in the rain. As incredible as that would be. Nor do I think he has a let's go eat a GD snack in him. Let's make sure we play like the New York Jets and not some slack team. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. That's what I want to see tomorrow. Do we understand what the f*** I want to see tomorrow? Let's go to eat a damn snack got to give the guy that i mean like most overrated coach ever but you got to give that guy that quote make sure we go play like the new york jets and not some bleep team pretty Let's amazing make sure we play like the f-ing new york jets and not some f-ing slap f-ing team that's what i want to see tomorrow do we understand what the fuck i want to see tomorrow let's go to eat a goddamn snack you know you hear something like that and then you realize man i Kind of understand why players love that guy so much. I mean, when he's firing them up like that, saying things like that, pretty amazing. In fact, Bob might want to go back and watch and take notes. He might be a better coach than Rex Ryan ever was. But Rex understood which buttons to push and how to motivate guys most of the time. And how to be a clown. I mean, Rex, you got to admit, was an insufferable mess in the end as a head football coach. 
How do I know? Because he'd still be a head football coach if he weren't. But he did say some funny things. And even said some funny things that year that were actually kind of right. Last year, hey, we were under the radar. That's a good place to be. F*** that. The best place to be is when expectations are high. Get used to it. It's always going to be that way. And now let's go out and prove everybody right. We know we're better than you. We don't give a f- if you know it or not. We don't, we don't give a sh- if you give us your best game. We're going to give you our best game, and we're going to beat the f- out of you. How's that? Let's go get it. That's a lot of F-bombs, Rex. Is it just me, or what do you think when you hear that? When you hear him rambling around, pumping guys up, dropping F-bombs, what do you think of? What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear that audio? I know for me, it's that frat legend who came back to the house and said that we beat whoever the F we want to beat, and we lose only when we want to lose. We decide what goes, who goes, and when we win, and when we lose, which is never. We decide when we win and when we lose, which is bleeping never. We decide what goes, who goes, and when we win, and when we lose, which is never. Why do I think Rex ripped that guy off with that speech? I can't believe it, though. I'm going to agree with Rex on one thing. Bleep under the radar. Y'all didn't sign Aaron Rodgers to hide. Y'all didn't announce Super Bowl intentions to shy away from the cameras. But again, if you get the show... You still have to beat the original. And beating the original means more than beating Rex. Beating the original means doing something more incredible than Antonio Cromarty trying to remember the names of his own children. Yeah, Alonzo, who is five. I have um, Karis, who is three. I have my, my junior, which is three. I have a my daughter who just turned three as of yesterday. Um, I have another son named Tyler. That's a, he turns three in December. I got another uh, daughter that was born October 16th named London. Uh, another daughter that was born named Leilani who's uh, two years old. And uh, I have uh, my newborn with my wife. Her name is Jersey. I mean, like I said, a really high bar. You ever hear that phrase that having two in diapers at the same time is really challenging? Try eight. Man, my man had himself an 18-month period. How many three-year-olds and two-year-olds did he just reference? But again, going back to the bar itself, these Jets better start preparing soon because it's going to be that that they have to top. How are you going to top that? This is what you're tasked with, topping that. But anyway, you wanted to be relevant. Now you're relevant. That's relevance. Welcome to relevance. Sorry, Bob. If hard knocks is inevitable, why not just sit back, relax, and enjoy it? How Bob Knight ever got away with a statement like that, I have no idea. But if hard knocks is inevitable, inevitable. you might as well just sit back, relax, and enjoy it. And if we're going to do this hard knocks thing, and you can't come with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. I want to watch them about as much as I want another double hernia surgery. Shout out, though, to Terry McLaurin. 
the line of NFL teams to not do hard knocks is longer than that jack-in-the-box drive through line in Utah. Have you seen that? Like miles. And this isn't like in and out finally reaches Texas and there are people crying. What, what is it, Salt Lake? Help me out with this. Have you never had Jack? Or did you have Jack and it got ripped from you and they brought it back? I mean, would you even walk into one, much less park in a four-mile line for one? I mean, it goes for miles. That, that line, I don't know, I'm not on TV right now, so you can't see it. But if you find it, that line is like worse than the longest in and out line times 1,000. Hey, Utah, quick question. Have you ever actually eaten there? It's got to be the tacos, I guess. Anyway, Jets team, stop acting like you don't want this. And stop acting like it's not what you signed up for. You want relevance? This is relevance. Now, get your asses out there and top Cromarty. That's where the bar is. Good luck with that. 1-800-636. Get your ass to Hod Knox. Hod Knox. U.S. Cellular is introducing us mode. You know, it's kind of like airplane mode, but for people. It's a way to set up your phone so it does not get in the way of people really being with each other. Block distractions. Make way for real connections. Give it a try. Visit U.S. Cellular in-store or online, and they'll help set up your phone to us mode free, even if you're not a customer. Built for superior 5G connection and real human connection, U.S. Cellular, built for us. Find out more at uscellular.com slash find us. We are joined by Frank Vogel. Frank, it is great to have you back. Frank, how are you? I'm good, Jim Rome. How you doing? Frank Vogel, I'm great. It's good to hear your voice. Great to have you back. <laughs> so bring me up to date. You had some options. You beat out some really qualified candidates for this job. What did you like best, Frank, about this opportunity? Uh, everything, honestly. You know, I, I love the, the current roster that we have and, and what, what this, uh, this group can do over the next two years. The opportunity to win another championship for me is something that's very compelling. I love this city. I love the, the fact that this uh, fan base has not had, its, uh, had an NBA championship here in Phoenix. And uh, the opportunity to do what, what uh, Denver just did, what the Nuggets just did for their city, uh, to do you know, with the Suns for this city of Phoenix is something that is uh, really attractive to me, and you know, I'm excited to get started. Suns head coach Frank Vogel is joining us. So, Frank, you work for one of the rare NBA owners who actually plays some D1 ball, and that's Matt Ishbia. He was a walk-on for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. He's a really aggressive, really ambitious guy. What was the interview process like with Matt? It was wonderful. You know, he expressed an interest of, uh, of really finding someone that, that can be a, a long-term partner, uh, which is something that, I, you know, has been really attractive for me. Um, you know, so that, you know, that was a great start. Um, the fact that he's really all in on doing whatever it takes to, to win a championship uh, is super exciting for me. You know, this is, this is what we all hope for, you know, someone that's, that's willing to, uh, to spend and do whatever it takes uh, to put the team together to to position us to win a championship, and you know you can see that with what we put together since he's been here by adding KD and Bradley Beal, you know, we've got a group that uh, hopefully can be be together for a, a number of years and and you know be contenders each year that that we're here. So 
there's a lot that was attractive. You know, I was going to say, Frank, is it a sense like if you know for a fact going in that anything short of a world championship is not going to be acceptable, does that feel like a burden or does that feel like a good thing and an opportunity? Uh, it's what we as coaches, what we all hope for. You know, we hope, hope to have a team that uh, has that opportunity. And, um, you know, if those expectations were there and, and there was a group that, uh, that, that we didn't believe could get that job done, then those are expectations you don't want. But we do believe in this group. We do believe in this, uh, this owner and this franchise um, and, and what we're able to do here. So we put together a heck of a coaching staff, a staff that has championship experience. And, um, you know, there's a strong belief about what we can do. We're talking to Frank Vogel. So I'm going to try and double back to your staff in a minute. But when you talk about the group, you're right. You've got an owner who's so aggressive. He took a big swing. He brought in Kevin Durant. He then took a big swing recently in making that deal for Bradley Beal. So now you've got the big three offensive players. How do you see Beal, for instance, Frank, fitting in with KD and Booker on the offensive end? Oh, I just love the firepower. What's great about these these three stars is they're all unselfish uh uh, scores, you know, they they, they all can uh, fill it up and be the prolific scorer that it just puts uh, the nail on a coffin against teams. They're all closers, and um, they can all play off the basketball. That that that's the most exciting thing, you know. As as either as any one of them is getting double teamed, and the ball swings to the backside, you have backside snipers from the three point line, and uh, you know I think it's going to be really difficult to you know to to either bring double teams or early help to any of these three elite scorers. So what you have is guys who can score the ball, guys who can play off the ball. I know you love their versatility, but Frank, are the big three, are they going to buy in and play the type of defense that you and your teams are known for? Well, that's to be determined. You know, that, that's my job is come in and, and, and make sure our whole group, not just those three, are bought into the defensive side of the ball. But I think when you have a group that, that has a, legit, a legitimate, legitimate opportunity to compete for a championship, you know, I think you're going to see our entire team uh, really brought into maximum effort on the defensive side of the ball. We'll bring an intelligent scheme and, um, and a high level of accountability. And, you know, hopefully we can be uh, exceptional on both sides of the ball. Suns head coach Frank Vogel joining us. Frank, a lot of speculation about DeAndre Ayton and his status. What is your plan for him? Yeah, we're going to use him. He's a, an important piece to us winning a championship. You know, I believe he can be one of the best centers in the league. He's shown that throughout his career. He's, you know, he's had some bumps in the road. But, you know, I believe with a, a sort of a fresh start and a, a new group that, uh, of teammates that we're putting together this year, I think he can have a heck of a bounce back year. Uh, I've got a, a, a strong track record of, of, uh, of playing with, with centers and having success with them. And I... I plan to instill some of those uh, lessons learned and, and principles that, that I've used in the past to get the most out of DeAndre, and you know, I'm excited about working with him. I was going to say, Frank, you, you are known for working, well, for a lot of things, but for working successfully with bigs. I'm curious, like, when you look at film at him, film of him right now, what do you see, and then what's it going to take for him to be the best version of himself consistently going forward? Well, first of all, he's huge. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> You know, and uh, having that type of uh, anchor to your defense is, is something that, you know, I, I believe really brings a valuable piece to what you're trying to build uh, in terms of building a championship team. Um, you know, so if you have that type of rim protector anchoring your guys and you can get out and you can block shots and rebound and get out on the break, 
um, with the, the type of offensive players that we've assembled here, you know, I believe you can uh, accomplish great things. You know, Frank, your energy is really, really good. I'm curious. I've talked to a lot of coaches about how much they learned about their sport and themselves when they step away from the game for a little bit of time. I'm curious, how did you spend the year or so after things ended with the Lakers? What did you do at that time? What was that like for you? Well, you know, there's, there's always a, a life balance piece to it, right? Just, uh, you know, getting out of the trenches and, you know, investing more in your family than you're able to to do during the course of an 82-game season, plus playoffs, plus offseason, you know, there's a, a real benefit uh, mentally to recharging your batteries. Uh, but all throughout that, you know, I watched, watched more games probably this year than I, than I have in any season since I've been a head coach because, uh, because you have the time to really study the game from a different perspective. So, you know, I think all of those things uh, can really benefit me uh, t- coming into this season uh, out of an off year. You know, Frank, before you go, I'm curious about this. Like, when you got into the coaching profession, you knew how volatile it was, but it seems like the pressure for NBA head coaches has gotten so much more intense. I mean, you got Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, both recently won championships. They lost their jobs this year. You won a championship with the Lakers in 2020 and then departed two years later. Is this just the new normal, or is there something else going on here? No, I, I hope not. You know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, when you reach that level, you know that there's um, you know, that there's some value that is seen uh, by by front offices and, and, and ownership and, and teams that you know if uh, as the roster changes you know that there's a recognition that if you have a leadership group in place that has gotten the job done that there's more of a window uh, you know to get back to that level but you know every team has to make their own decisions and we all as coaches respect that it's this is not a, a business where you know you're uh, you know you're you're paid by what you've done in the past always you know but what you can do for that team in the future and teams have to make those decisions based on you know what is best for the team you know for the for the next season or, or for the future so you know we all respect that but you know hopefully there's a you know this is a little bit of a um, you know uh, an abnormal stretch in terms of uh, the championship coaches being let go so so quickly. Seriously, it's crazy. Frank, one last thought. You mentioned accountability earlier. Your former players rave, rave about your positivity, which does not surprise me at all. Generally, can you still coach guys really hard, or do you find that guys respond to encouragement a lot more than they respond to hyping or harping on what they're doing wrong? No, I, I think you have to have a balance. And, you know, I am a positive guy, but I'm, all, I'm also a realist, and I also – uh, understand the accountability piece. If you're going to reach the highest level, you know, you have to coach these guys hard. You know, I had that approach uh, when I went to LA, uh, you know, to, to bring, you know, more accountability even than I had, had done in the past in Indiana and Orlando. And, you know, players at the end of the day, they want to reach the highest level. They want to reach their individual highest level and the highest level uh, for their team, you know, and they want to be able to compete for a championship. So, if you're if it's done respectfully and and there's a, a partnership uh, element to it, you you can and have to coach these guys hard, and that's going to be my approach here in in Phoenix. It's a tremendous opportunity. I'm so glad you got that, Frank, and I'm really glad that we had a chance to get caught up once again. You have always been very good to this program when you were with Indiana, when you were with Orlando, with the Lakers as well. So great to see you in Phoenix. Great to have you back on the show, and I'll look forward to doing it again soon, Frank. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Love being on the show.
Craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned, Teriyaki, Peppered, and Hot and Spicy. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you do not see it, clones, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So close you can actually smell it. Only three more shows until Smack Off 29. Only one more player profile left today. The defending champ gets the treatment. The first time King of Smack, the dude who went from arguably the best to never win one to one of the most deserving champs ever. Of course, I'm talking about the defending champ, the reigning champ, Caleb in Green Bay. The dude is basically the quintessential jungle success story. He loves the show, and he's turned that love of the program into an amazing career running incredible and incredibly creative smack. Caleb was a hit right from the start. He landed on the podium with a third-place finish in his first-ever smack-off back in 2015, and he has top 10 every smack-off since. It seemed like it was only a matter of time before he ripped a strap, and then last year, he finally did it. And if anybody thought, that he would be content just to sit on that win, maybe even walk off on that win, think again. Because his RSVP to this year's main event made it pretty damn clear that he is ready to defend that crown. you got to come and get it from him. Also, he's not feeling all the Jeff Enrichment hype either. You also said that lightning isn't going to strike twice, and it's been well documented that I do eclairs I do eclairs, but my favorite fact about the French language, Jeff, is that the word eclair literally translates to a flash of lightning. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that lightning will strike not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven times, Jeff. But the bottom line is this, that as long as Jim Rome hosts the great American smack-off, Caleb in Green Bay will be a factor So get you one of those seatbelt extenders for that luxury sled and buckle up, fat boy, on the great state of Wisconsin, on the proliferation of skanks in Hunter Biden's Rolodex, on Nick Casario being the illegitimate child of Marty Feldman's eyeball, on Caleb making a better Jeff call than Jeff has made in 21 years. And until next time, Jim... Good night now. The amazing thing about the Leb is I bet there are people tweeting right now that that wasn't even his best RSVP. That his best RSVP ever was the time that he RSVP'd as Buffalo Bill. Alvi? The time he RSVP'd as Buffalo Bill. 
some mood music for the defending champ. Now he's feeling it. Then Left takes off his suit. And no, not his new David August dress. I'm talking about his custom Jim Rome suit that he got straight out of Buffalo Bill's basement. He puts on a little lipstick, maybe some mascara, sensually grabs the microphone, stares at Alvin Deloro and says, Would you rack me? I'd rack me. I'd rack me hard. I'd rack me so hard. I'm telling you, this dude, whether it's the RSVP, whether it's the smack off, he is just endlessly creative and has an enormous stack of rack phone calls. He's even done a period phone call to the smack off. Like he called into the main event with a call that could have been made in 1995. Do you remember this? I would never miss the first annual Great American Smack Off. I knew that 1995 was going to be all that and a bag of chips. So I'm going to hit this competition harder than Natron means business up the middle on first and goal. Let's get after it, Jim. You know why I take a lot of scuds? Because I get a lot of scuds. And you know this better than anyone. There is a long, long line of callers waiting to take a swing at me like I'm a pinata full of welfare checks, spouting the same unoriginal takes, fat, virgin, lives with his parents. But it just goes to remind everyone that your listeners are not clones of you. They're clones of each other, clogging up the phone lines, jamming up the fax machine day after day for years on end. Would it shock anybody when you open up the fish wrap and see they finally caught the Unabomber? He won't be living in some shack in Montana. He'll be like a mechanic in Escondido wearing an extra sport 690 t-shirt and asking the feds for a drug test drop. Crown Wisconsin. Huge! See, this dude's got a skill set and a gear that nobody else has. A creativity that nobody else has. Don't kid yourself. He's got that gear and he's got another gear. You do not want to be in his crosshairs because in addition to the creativity, he can also run devastating, targeted smack. Rick, you said yesterday you wanted to start a charity drive to get my stomach stapled, but at least I can do something about my physical deformity. I was going to start a GoFundMe to fix yours, but I don't know how much stilts go for these days. But I guess at least we know why his voice is so chalky. It's because he eats handfuls of Flintstones vitamins to try to catch up to his students. And this is all irrespective of his garbage phone calls. Rome, think of it this way. Of all the brilliant callers you've had in the past, I afraid Doc, Mike, Sean, Brad, Josh in Detroit. I mean, not only the greats, but the ones the greats aspire to be. But the guy who currently sits atop the jungle power rankings with his little baby legs dangling over the edge has never uttered a more clever phrase than, Caleb is fat, you friggin' moron. I can't comprehend how this guy is so popular, Jim. I will never understand it. By the time we hit the smack off last year, Caleb had essentially proven everything there was to prove in the jungle except that he could be the king of smack. And then he made an all-time classic phone call, and he took down that event. So many of you clowns want to take it away from him for some reason or somehow minimize that call. So many of you kooks think that it was just his turn, and I decided as much before the event that we somehow pre-selected him to win or some total bull crap like that. It's all bullcrap. I have proof that it's bullcrap. Listen to this damn phone call. It's incredible. And tell me again that this guy did not deserve to win. You spend your summers here 
You eat cheese curds and red meat. You sit around all day doing nothing. Who are you trying to reinvent yourself as? One of us? Eagle River, Wisconsin. This is the Jim Ramelski Show on CBS Sports Radio. Holy cripes, what's up there, clones? A tremendous Friday to you. My name is Jim Romelski, a.k.a. the Blimp in the Box. Welcome to the Glacier. It's June 24th, and we already have two foot of snow on the ground. Or is there still two foot of snow on the ground? I can never tell the difference. And right now our phones are down, but Eagle River is pretty small, so just yell out your window real quick. We'll probably hear you at the bottom of this hour if we get the phones working. We're going to have a little chit-chat with Farmer John. He's going to tell us what's the best way to get the goose poop off your lawn. At the top of hour number two, we're going to have a glacier legend, a friend of the program, Elk, will be our guest. And I don't mean Steve Elkington, I mean an actual elk will come on to show for a little bit. At the top hour number three, we're going to have Bill Plaschke teach us how to catch a sturgeon with a spear. But let's start this show off the way we do every Friday with a deca moo. Ben Snack, embrace your destiny. Join us once and for all. The North Woods are calling on Wisconsin. That was your smack off 28 winning phone call. It was an instant classic, and it just keeps getting better and better. Kind of like Caleb himself, a standout caller from the jump, who has developed into one of the very best. One of the very best, in fact, ever. It's me. It's me. It's that K-A-L-E-B. Rome Matt in Vancouver just said I couldn't win the smack off because I looked like a porta potty in a camo hat. Pretty rich that he thinks I wear camo when he's the one who's so unnoticeable we literally forgot he was even in the field. I heard Rick and Buffalo's call yesterday, which is funny because I wasn't listening to the show, but he's so loud it doesn't matter. Hey, Benny and Wisco, seriously, bro, in the first grade, were you hooked on phonics or hooked by a bass fisherman? You sound like Mike Tyson hired a speech therapist. Jim, I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Beaks, bench the donuts. Can you imagine what would happen if one of these cadavers from the days of yore won the smack off, like Carbone or the Cablinasian? They'd go longer in between titles than Rick and Buffalo when he can't afford a used car. Hey, Jeff, I loved your call when you spent the whole time telling people they're fat. It was a complete 180 from last year when you spent your entire call telling people they're fat. The time has come for the coronation of King Caleb I. I'm shocking the world! I'm shocking the world! Sweetie, are you cleaning your room? Mom, get off the landline. I'm on with Rome. The guy from Space Jam? Yes, I told you. It's the smack off. Cal is so short, when he sticks his foot in his mouth, he disappears. This guy's like the jungle's Joe Pesci. Not because he's so funny and iconic, but because he's tiny, loud, and you want to see him buried in the desert. Dude, after I win the 5K and the trophy, you can go get your f***ing shine box. Burning. Bro, we're not doing that this year. Burning. Dude, what did I tell you? You had your chance already, and you blew it. Get out of here. We can all see that Keith Arnold looks like Chael Sonnen let himself go, but I would never say that out loud. A couple of my buddies wanted to remind you of something. Hey, Jim Rome, it's Randy and Jason Sklar. And you know what the smack-off is? It's a walrus game. Because at the end of the day, Van Smack, I'm as fat as I am because of cheeseburgers. It's almost like they ate meat. I'm blowing up, Twitter. Watch out. Now it's smack-off season. That's Caleb in Green Bay, your reigning king of smack. He's got four top fives in eight smack-offs. He's hit the podium three times. He's currently holding the strap. Dude, 
As always, cannot wait to hear what you've got planned for Friday. And I'll just let you play yourself out of this profile because there is no better way to end this segment than to do it just like this. Please rise and remove your caps for the singing of our national anthem. Caleb and Green Bay, he's the man. Caleb and Green Bay's got great smack. Caleb and Green Bay says, I want to win the smack off, yeah. Caleb and Green Bay's a great, 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 great caller to the jungle. Playing off of the Jason Avon parody. Nobody as creative as that guy, the reigning king of smack. There is your final player profile. I might, I might even play a little bit more of that a little bit later on. But Friday's the day. I'm not going to cut this off right now. Somebody could still get a golden ticket and get in. There's still a way in. And by the way, there's also still a way out. If you're on the watch list, you can get off and get in. If you're holding on to a golden ticket, you could still lose it. You can follow Yonder via at Yonder Alonzo U on Twitter, at Yonder Alonzo on Instagram, including on July 10th and July 11th when Yonder is in Seattle for the All-Star Game. He joins us once again. Yonder, it's good to have you. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. I got to tell you, I got to give you all the props. You've been the first guy. It felt like I was about to go into a UFC fight where – you know, you kind of give me all the props and everything I've done in my in my in my life and my career of baseball. I loved it. I mean, you can keep going for all I care. My man, you have a great baseball card and a great background. I got to do it. You earned it. All right. So why don't we start <laughs> with the biggest disappointment in baseball? I'd love to start with something positive, but I'm looking at the Mets. Yonder, what happened to a team that had designs on winning it all, yet they're a season high, eight games under 500? What happened to these guys, and who is to blame for this catastrophe? Oh, my goodness. I mean, where, where, where do you want to start? I mean, I, I just think when you look at, at the Mets and, and where they're at right now, I mean, it's just been an absolute disappointment. Nobody even saw this coming. But, you know, I think for me it's very simple. You know, they, 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 they're a little bit in between. Um, you know, at times they look old. Uh, at times they can't pitch. I, I think a few of the uh, suspensions that have been given uh, from the pitching department have really cost them, even what we saw in the series. Uh, the other day uh, where, where you know, Buck had his hands completely tied. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I just think when I look at them, they have to make a cautious de- decision here and either decide to go young, start trading some big pieces away. That's what I would do if, if I'm them. But, you know, bottom line is, you know, 21 games, they've lost 16 out of those 21 games. Um, you know, they, they're, they're not really pitching that much. Their bullpen has been awful. Uh, and just their rotation, man, it's, it's an eight. ERA in the last 39 innings pitched, that's not good. No, that's not good at all. In fact, you got to my next point. I was going to say, we know that owner Steve Cohen is not afraid to spend money, but come the trade deadline, do you think they're sellers or are they buyers? I think they're definitely sellers. Look, if I'm them, I would go as young as possible. I would give the experience. I would also trade for some pieces. You know, I would probably trade a guy like Marte. I would trade a guy like Pete Alonso. I would trade a guy like uh, Jeff McNeil, even Tommy Pham. The reasons I trade for those guys is because I'll get younger and I'll try to develop my offseason into trying to get one of those pieces back, whether it be Pete Alonso or whether it be Marte once again. I mean, these are guys, and Pete Alonso, he's going to be a free agent, and you know what he's going to ask for. But you can also get some pieces out of a rental like Pete Alonso. Somebody's going to want to use them. Or even a guy like Marte who's going to be a free agent in the next couple of years He's still under contract. You would trade him. He's a valuable asset. He's a guy that can run. He's a guy that can play gold glove defense in right field. And a guy that's a very tough bat. 
I would also trade for a guy like that. I, I would go young. And the reason I go young is just to give these guys or the Mets a chance to kind of adapt in the big league role and then go get a guy like Shohei Otani, go get a guy like Pete Alonso once again, or just kind of, you know, wipe off everything you had on the board and, and trying to see what you really have. I'm always a believer in what I'm seeing right now, examples like the Cincinnati Reds and the Baltimore Orioles. Now you get a young core of group of guys that are hungry. They want to play every day. Now you add them up with a few veteran pieces, and you've got yourself a really good postseason team. Yonder Alonso joining us. You just mentioned three or four things that I wanted to ask you about. How about America's team, the Reds? They just reeled off a 12-game winning streak, and, man, they are so much fun. How much are you buying Cincy as they open up a really interesting series against Baltimore tonight? Oh, I'm definitely buying them. You know, I think this is a team that's, that's really, really for real. You know, I talked to Freddie Benavides today. He's the bench coach for the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, one of the things he really mentioned to me was the ability for him to, in the minor league system, how good they are with their coaching staff. See, you always talk about the coaching staff in the big leagues, but you got to remember, you're bringing these young kids up and they have to be ready. And the only re- way they get ready is by having a really good staff in the minor leagues that teach them how to get prepared for the big league game. And I think they've done such a good job with that. Obviously, we can talk about Eli De La Cruz and what they've done, but even Andy Ashcraft, he's, he's done a fantastic job. Look, I, I know they've lost three in a row here, but this team is young. This team has Joey Votto. This team has David Bell in the helm as a manager who's done a fantastic job. And you know what? Look, I, I got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, and I always said the first team you fall in love with is the first team that signs you. And I always have a soft spot for the Reds, but I'm really happy to see them do their thing. Look, that, that stadium is electric right now, and they're playing every day. India has become a leader. Uh, you know, Benson is a big bat, left-handed bat coming off the bench. They got some really good pitching. Let's not talk about let, Let's not forget about Diaz, uh, Edwin Diaz's brother, who, who's got, what, 26 saves for the year. He's been fantastic for them. Now, all of a sudden, the, the game gets shorter because you have such a stopper like that at the end of the, the bullpen. Now you're playing a 7-8 inning game. If you have the lead, if you're the Cincinnati Reds and you have the lead, the game's over. Yonder Alonso is joining us, man. I, I'm with you. I love them. You mentioned Joey Votto. So Joey Votto, of course, compared Ellie De La Cruz to Mickey Mantle, and then folks lost their minds. I mean, you can't really ever compare anybody to the Mick, right? Or, or Yonder, can you? Because I've never seen a dude quite like Ellie. No, I, I, think, I think you definitely can. We're going to talk to him uh, today at 4.30 on off base. And, you know, one of the things that, that I, I, I talked to about with Freddie Benavides is how humble this kid is how really he really wants to work, he wants to learn. But, you know, the first time Joey Votto really got to see Ali De La Cruz was during his rehab assignment in, in Louisville uh, AAA uh, associate team. And he really noticed how humble he was, how, how he really wanted to work every day, how he challenges himself daily. A big-time family guy, a guy who puts his headphones on, really goes to work, shows up to the ballpark every day early, uh, asks all the right questions, and he's willing to listen. When you have a guy like that that's doing all those things, man, watch out because the, 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 the ceiling is just not enough for this kid. And he can play shortstop, he can play third base, but I think his biggest tool right now is his, his, his mental capacity to just slow down the game. And, boy, he's doing it at a very fast pace, and I'm really excited for the future of Cincinnati he, Reds. He's incredible. Yonder Alonso joining us. So you mentioned Shohei. Let me ask you this. The Angels are in contention both in the division and in the wild card race. Do you think there's anything they can possibly do between now and the end of the season to convince Shohei to stay, or do you think he's already made up his mind that he needs to leave to have any real shot at a ring? Well, that's easy. They got to just continue to win, right? They're 43 and 37 right now. This is a team that you know can do it all right now. Look, I would think they're 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 going to be buyers 
Uh, they already started that with Escobar, Mustakas as well. Uh, they just got to continue to pitch. I think in the, the, the end of that bullpen, again, a lot of teams are going to be wanting to have some arms to come out of that end of the bullpen. But, look, I, I think if you're Shohei Otani, you're excited for what they're doing. You, you feel really good about yourself. Mickey Moniak has been a tremendous upgrade to the, to the Angels, what he's done. Obviously, we know he was a first-rounder, first pick overall, and he's been a huge surprise for the Angels, and that's what they need, right? They, they need guys that are going to step up. Uh, Brandon Drury has been tremendous for them as well. Shohei Otani has his uh, hands completely full, but I think he's very excited where they're at right now. Look, this guy is on pace to, to throw over 190 innings. He, he, the crazy stat I saw of him was that he gave, he's given up about 20 runs, but yet he has already 25 home runs, 26 home runs. That is insane. But this guy is, is just tremendous. What a, what, I don't think we talk enough about Shohei Otani, but when we do, and when I do, I get really excited about it. I think that's a great take, that as much as we talk about this guy, it's still not nearly enough. Yonder Alonso is joining us. Let me ask you about Luis Arise. So he wins the AL batting title last season with the Twins. He's been flirting with 400 this season with the Marlins. Do you think that he or anybody else will ever finish a season hitting 400 ever again? Well, I think he's very close to doing that. Look, I, I think he's, he's a guy that it feels like he's hitting with a guitar. And, you know, a, a lot of times you have to be in the right place at the right time to do something like this or to, to be doing something like this that's so, so long in, in, in the year, right in the middle of, of June. Um, the ballpark is made for him. Uh, it's a big ballpark. It's a guy that, that likes to spread the ball around. I, I think this kid... He is a special. I remember talking to him in the World Baseball Classic gym, and, and I said, hey, what do you got in this ballpark? First time he had seen it, he says, boy, oh, boy, the infield's fast because it's a turf field, but there's so much room out in the outfield. I feel like I can spray. I feel like I'm hitting by myself basically here, and that's literally what he's done all year. Now, the funny thing is how, how, how great this is. He's going back to Boston for the last time somebody hit 400 in Ted Williams, 1948. Uh, and he's going to go back there, got to get that little feel of what it was like for him, for Ted Williams during those those days. But, man, I'll tell you what, he hits lefties, he hits righties. He, he's not scared to hit bad ball pitching, which is very, very difficult in today's day and age. Guys are throwing 100 miles an hour with a wicked slider and sweeper. He's just He's got all the tools, he's got the mindset, and I just love everything about this kid. Yonder Alonso joins me for a couple of more moments. Yonder, what about the Padres, right? They come off that postseason run to the NLCS. Expectations were right through the roof, yet here they are, four games under 500. What's their problem, and realistically, do you see them turning it around and making a run? Well, I just think they're not hitting, right? Um, you know, you look at them, they've lost uh, a lot of games here. It feels like at times they played three to four games, good games a week. And to be honest with you, when you have a payroll like that, that's just not enough, right? You got to be able to play five, six good games a week, right? You understand you're not going to play them all right, but you have to be able to play some good ones. And, and I just think they haven't done that. Look, I, I look at their pitching. Their pitching has been great. Uh, their starting pitching has been tremendous. Their bullpen has been incredible. Even with a guy like Luis Suarez, who's been basically injured all year, they've been able to do their thing with Josh Hader in the backside. But you know, they're playing okay defense. I, I think the first base production hasn't been there. Their catching production hasn't really been there at all. Their center field production hasn't been there at all. And quite honestly, their shortstop and third base production as well hasn't been there. But, look, I, I think do they have a shot? I, I can't count that team out just because of the back of the baseball card. You said how important that was earlier in the show, Jim, and that is very important. And I think these guys have it, and they have what it takes. Now, the one thing that concerns me is this balance schedule. You don't get to play the Diamondbacks that much. You don't get to play the Dodgers that much or, or, or even the Giants. So 
you have to make up a lot of ground with other teams in, in, in the balance schedule, and that's going to be very difficult. But bottom line is they're running out of days, and I know it's, it sounds crazy. We're here in June 20, you know, seven, or and you're running out of days already. So it's not so much already about winning series. It's about winning a game, and then once you can win a game and you win a series, you've got a sweet teams, and right now they're not doing it. But I would think that at some point this changes and, and they start playing better baseball. All right, so before I let you go, you mentioned Arizona. What about a quick thought on the Diamondbacks? They're another major surprise this year. Rookie Corbin Carroll, for instance, has lived up to all the hype with the Diamondbacks. What do you like best about that Arizona squad, and how have they been able to turn it around as quickly as they have? Well, look, when, when I look at a team like that, I, I always look at the middle of the infield. I look at a guy like Perdomo, who's got an on-base over 400. I look at Kettle Marte, who's doing a fantastic job. You know, uh, even Alec Thomas, who, who just got called up, he's been fantastic the past week or so. But then you look at Christian Walker and what he's done, right? He's hitting 280. He's a guy that usually would hit 210, 215, a lot of strikeouts. He's not doing that. Corbin Carroll has been fantastic. I like this team. I think this team is pitching. I think this team has a – they're going to be buyers. They're going – you know, we keep saying they're going to be buyers at the end here. They're going to get a couple more arms, especially out of the bullpen. But they're young. They run. They can pitch. They can defend. And they can hit the slug ball as well. So when you have a team like that that's young, that can kind of creep up on these on these good veteran teams, it, it, it's, it, it's dangerous. And, I, and, I, and that's something that I've kind of talked about here. This balanced schedule, when you have these young teams, Cincinnati Reds, Baltimore Orioles, Toronto Blue Jays, you know, Arizona Diamondbacks, they're all young teams, and why are they doing so well? Well, one thing, the clock has been an advantage to this young team. Remember, all these guys play with it in the minor leagues. And another thing is, when you have a young team, you have a veteran team, you have more data, you have more information to, to get prepared for against a veteran team, whereas the veteran players do not have that much information with a young guy. They just don't have the history. They don't have the news. And I think when you have that, you can kind of creep up on these big old veteran teams that have good players, but yet they get more prepared. I think that's been the biggest reason why these young teams are having great years. Such good, good stuff. Remember, you can watch Yonder coming up on MLB Network's off-base program at 4 p.m. Plus, MLB Network has the Yankees and the A's tonight. Astros and Cards tomorrow night as well. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and also on Instagram. Yonder, that was tremendous. Appreciate you so much. Uh, Great job. Anytime. Thank you, guys. So I want to make this very clear. And I've been saying it for years. In fact, years and years. This is not new. I respect and admire the hell out of Damian Lillard. I do. I don't know how anybody does not respect and admire the hell out of Dame. And if for some reason there is one person on the planet who doesn't, and there is, because I don't care who you are, there always is, somebody's always here to hate, I don't give a damn. I don't care. I respect this guy, I respect his game, I respect his grind, I respect his work ethic, and maybe more than anything else, I respect his loyalty, because there is almost no loyalty in pro sports. If I were to say to you, find me loyalty, show it to me, show it to me, anywhere in pro sports, show it to me, you'd be hard-pressed to find it. This guy, you'd probably say, damn, in Portland, right? If I were to say, show it to me. In an era of NBA backstabbing, and I'm all about player empowerment too, all right? I'm not opposed to that. But I'm talking about forcing your way out of situations that suddenly you don't like. Jumping from super team to super team to chase rings and be a mercenary. Trading half the roster at the deadline. You know, all that garbage. Dame stands out because Dame has never done any of that. He's never participated in any of that. 
he stands out because he truly is one of the last loyal cats left in pro sports. And Dame loves Portland. In fact, I'm not sure anybody has ever loved Portland the way Dame loves Portland. And I can say that confidently as a fellow Portland lover. I love this town. I love this city. It's been great for me personally. It's been great for the business of the show. Portland is amazing. It's an amazing city with some amazing clones. And we go way back. And we had one of the all-time great tour stops there. I love Portland. So don't get any of this twisted. I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm about to say. Because I love Portland. Even if somebody got up in here and went off on Portland woman back in the day. I love Portland. However, I would not blame Dame if he didn't want to stay. But if he wants to leave because he wants to actually win. If he wants to actually win, now is the time to go because this guy's done everything in his power to win there. He's given everything he has on and off the floor to that organization and that community and that fan base and that team and the coaches and his teammates. But if he wants to actually win, probably now is the time to go. And Miami is probably the place to go to. I'm not saying it's an easy deal to do. I'm just saying if you want to talk about a situation, an opportunity, if there was ever a time and a place for Dame to leave Portland, I would say this is the time and that's the place. See, Dame and the Blazers are absolutely at a crossroads. The ultimate fork in the road. They pick Scoot Henderson, another six foot two point guard. I love the guy. I love the guy. I love his game. I understand why they'd want that asset. Except Dame has been grinding and waiting. Dame is 32, soon to be 33. Dame is on the clock. It might be time for him to bounce. Hit the reset button. He's not there to rebuild. He's made that very clear. He said it. He didn't make any ultimatums. He didn't threaten anybody. He just said, hey, listen, I need to win now. I can't be a part of a rebuild that's going to take years. And does anybody blame him? He's 32, about to turn 33. So why are we getting into this now? Well, word comes out yesterday that he met with the Blazers' front office. Most assumed that if he was going in there to meet, he was going in there to ask for a trade. Because at this point, I mean, who would blame him, Right. Everybody was waiting to see what they would do with that number three pick. Would they package it? Would they get him some veteran help? They did not. They kept the pick. So you assume Dame's going to go in there yesterday and say, you know what? I get it. You have to do what you have to do. Now I have to do what I have to do. I want out. But apparently that's not what happened at that meeting. Not if you listen to GM Joe Cronin. He offered up this statement. Quote, I met with Dame. And Aaron Goodwin this afternoon. We had a great dialogue. We remain committed to building a winner around Dame. End of quote. Great, right? That's great, I guess. Except Cronin has said things like that before. Cronin actually has to get around to doing what he's talking about. I hate to bring this part up, but if you check the standings since Cronin took over the front office... The Blazers have finished 13th in the West each of the last two years. And as much as I'd like to believe that a major improvement is possible this offseason, it's awfully hard to see it, right? 
It's hard to see how that would work. It's hard to see how Portland is going to catch up to the Nuggets or the Suns or even the Lakers or the Warriors in one offseason. I would love to see it happen. I love that Dame wants to spend his whole career there. I do. I love that he loves them. I do. But not if they're going to come in 13th place in the prime of his career again. How do they make this right? They're not only not championship contenders, they're not even playoff contenders. They're not even play-in contenders. Do you expect this guy to sit back and just accept that? I mean, I know he loves you, Portland. I know he loves the community. I know he loves the organization. But does he love it more than legacy? Does he love it more than winning? The guy wants to win. He wants to play in games that matter again. So what's going to happen? I'm sure he's watching very intently with free agency approaching, watching to see what the team does or doesn't do. Hopefully, and I'm not sure what they can do. You know, all this talk about, for instance, Draymond Green coming. Do you really think Draymond is going to leave the dynasty and come to Portland? Yeah, I understand that Draymond is going to try and jam Golden State for a lot of money. Maybe he's using Portland to jam Golden State for a lot of money. But does Draymond Green look like somebody, especially with Jordan Poole gone, does he look like he wants to leave Golden State to go to Portland? I mean, I know why I know why Damian would want him there. But does Draymond look like he's going there? Come on, man. You know he's gonna run with LeBron before he runs with Damian. So hopefully they find a way to make this thing legit. Because let's face it, they were legit horrendous last year. And Dame does not deserve this kind of horrendous at this stage of his career. I understand that he doesn't want to be the one to break it off. He doesn't want to demand that trade. He's not that guy. And I respect the hell out of him for not being that guy. He doesn't want to be grouped with the likes of Kyrie, KD, even LaCap and Kawhi. And any of the others that have jumped from team James Harden that have jumped from team to team and treated those franchises and fan bases like a joke. And again, I'm for player empowerment. You know, I'm not saying guys shouldn't chase. I'm saying Dame's different. Dame's not like any of those guys. So at this point, maybe he needs to be a little more like those guys. I mean, dude, you've proven it. You're different. You've proven that. We know this. You put in the time. You've been more loyal to the city of Portland and the Blazers organization than anybody ever. If he has to leave in order to win, nobody's going to hold that against him because the team did not do enough to keep him there. That's the bottom line. Look, I don't want to speak for him. I don't want to tell him what to do. I can't speak to his legacy. I'm just saying I'm having a really hard time seeing the Blazers do enough to improve enough to keep him there, especially in the short term. It looks impossible. So if he ever was going to leave, now would be the time to do it. And to me, Miami would be the place to go. So Dame, do what you got to do, my dude. Just know that if you got to go, nobody's going to blame you. I know you love that community. But I also know you're proud as hell. You're competitive as hell. You're concerned about your legacy. And I don't think you want your legacy to be that you gave everything you possibly had to a franchise that in the end did not share that same sense of urgency or commitment or was just on a different track. Hey, I hope I'm wrong. 
I hope they do have a plan. I hope they shock me and everybody else and they get Dame what he needs. Otherwise, if I were you, dude, I'd bounce and get yours. Nobody would blame you and you don't owe them a damn thing. Not at this point. In fact, not a long time ago. This is the most loyal superstar I've ever seen. Good night now!